All right, we are going to be back in the book of Hebrews today. I did my bad dad joke last week. Well, you know God is a coffee drinker, right? Why? Hebrews, yes. All right, all right. Hebrews chapter 10 today. Hebrews chapter 10. Last week we, we were in Hebrews as well. We were in Hebrews chapter 2. We talked about messages entitled Adrift. And the challenge to the believers, these Hebrew believers, was that they not drift away from their hope, their salvation that they had in Christ. Um, they were Hebrews, so most of them had come out of Judaism. They'd come to know Christ, but they faced a lot of persecution from uh, people that hadn't converted to Christianity, uh, from Judaism, hadn't embraced Christ. And Judaism was intended not to be its own religion. It was intended to prepare the way for Christ, Okay. Um, But some of those that didn't accept Christ as their Messiah then continued on with what we'd call Judaism today. All right. So last week was a drift. Just it was a challenge for them to not drift away. Um, They were facing some hard moments. We're going to talk. We're going to end with kind of uh, a passage that talks about some of the things that they were enduring. And so because of that, the persecution, the difficulties they were facing, they were being tempted to go back to Judaism, because if they did that, then the suffering would end, okay? The persecution would stop. But the author says, then you're also losing out when God has called you to in the hope of Christ. Amen? So, um, this morning we're going to be in chapter 10, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to hit some of the good themes here in the book of Hebrews over the next couple weeks. And then after Labor Day, uh, in September there, maybe around Friday, day, then we're going to shift into the book of Acts. That's the initial plan right now. So, uh, a new and living way, that's mentioned in our passage here in Act, uh, Hebrews 10. So, I have a question for you. <clears throat> okay? I had a question. Looking back over your life, how many good things have you missed out because you gave up too quickly? How many things, good things, have you missed out in life because you gave up too quickly? You just didn't endure long enough. Okay? You don't have to tell us that, but think. Okay? Now, reverse that question and say, how many good things have you experienced because you did persevere? Can you think about that? You know, I'm just... About less than two years ago, I completed, finished my doctorate. And when I started off on that, that seemed like a pretty, it just seemed like a huge mountain. And and you just have to take it one bite at a time. And it's kind of like even then I finished all my classes, I still had my paper to write, my dissertation. And even that in itself just seemed like a whole nother mountain to, to finish up. But you do get through it one bite at a time, right? That's how you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Um, and so, you know, getting a doctorate isn't so much about intelligence. You do have to have a certain amount, right? But it's a lot more about perseverance. And I had somebody tell me that early on and says, you know what? It's all about endurance and perseverance is not as much as about intelligence. Although he was a pretty brilliant guy, the guy that was telling me that. I always would sit in his office and he would, he was mathematics and science. He was just, he knew all these equations. So I was always in awe of him. But this morning, I want us to look at this principle of perseverance 
in the context of our passage here of Hebrews 10. All right, we're going to mainly be focusing on 19 through 20, verses 19 through 25. But we need to catch these other verses here because they do provide the backdrop for what uh, the author of Hebrews says. And I say the author of Hebrews because we do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some of the books say who the author is and it's confirmed through tradition and things like that. But we just don't know who wrote it. Um, You know, some think Paul, but it doesn't fit a lot of Paul's writings. So it could be Apollos, uh, Aquila, Priscilla, um, some other person. So. But let's begin, we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews in your New Testament, pretty close to the end of your copy of God's Word. So let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is the living Word of God. We just read that this morning. It is able to penetrate our hearts and our spirit, Lord God, like nothing else can, Lord, to help us to know what is right and wrong, what is truth, what is not, to, to show us what how to know God. Um, And so, Lord God, we ask for the living Word of God to speak into us life this morning. We give you the thanks and the praise. We ask in your name. Amen. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, the law was only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So the law would be what you see in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All right? That comprised a lot of the law, and then you have the prophets and, and, and things of such, okay? It was a shadow of what was to come. So it was to prepare the way for what Christ would do, okay? All right. These things were not reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So what it, the author of Hebrews is saying is that those sacrifices weren't able to remove their sin. So what if you were a believer in the Old Testament? Were you saved? That's a pretty deep theological question for a Sunday morning, isn't it? The answer is yes. Why is that? Because when Jesus went to the cross, not only did did he die for our sins in the future, but he died for the sins in the past. Okay? And so when those believers brought those sacrifices and they offered them in faith, God honored that. And it was for preparation so that when Jesus would die on the cross, he would die for the sins in the past, but also in the future. All right? Okay. Otherwise, they would not have been stopped being offered. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and there had been no longer, they would never longer felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are the annual uh, reminder of sins. It is possi- impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you, you did not desire, but my body you prepared for me. Okay, this is a quote from Psalms, right? But with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and the sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he says, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So that is a huge thing that comes across in the book of Hebrews is that in the Old Testament, they were offering sacrifices daily, okay, except for on the Sabbath day. Week after week, sacrifices were having to be made. Thousands and thousands of bulls, lambs, doves, 
No dogs, Karen, so you can relax. <laughs> but we're sacrificed for the sins of the people. But once and for all, when Jesus went to the cross, it was finished because he was the perfect sacrifice. Day after day, verse 11, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. And for by one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Do I need to repeat that? For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Who is he referring to? Who has he made holy? Those who believe in Christ. You. By one sacrifice, he has made you holy. Amen. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For he says, this is the covenant I will make with them at. After this time, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. All right. So you get the mindset there. I want to, once and for all, Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And so that is going to be the backdrop of which these next three things are going to happen. Okay, that the author of Hebrews is going to talk about because it's followed by a therefore. But you have to understand from a Jewish mindset, for them to draw near to God was a fearful thing. Okay, so when they worshipped, their worship temple, tabernacle didn't look a little bit, it didn't look like this. Maybe a little bit. It was kind of rectangular. All right. But the outside was the tent of meeting. If you were considered pure and holy, you could come and you could meet there. If you were uh, ceremonially clean, you could come into that outer courts, right? Um, but only the priest could go into the holy place, okay? That first room, you had the table showbread, the altar of incense, the candles that burned 24-7. Only the priest could go in there and maintain that. But then there was the most holy place, right? Behind that curtain then was the What? Indiana Jones tried to find it, right? The Ark of the Covenant, right? That was the most holy place. And nobody could go back there except for one high priest one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And they would go back there and they drew straws or something. They had a way of selecting the person that went back there. But it was kind of a fearful thing because they would even tie a rope to their ankle because if their life wasn't right and they went before the presence of God and God says, "Uh uh-uh, they had to pull them out dead. And nobody was going to go back there to get him, <laughs> right? Right? And so it was a fearful thing to go into the presence of God. And even one time when they're moving the Ark of the Covenant, they're moving it on a cart instead of by the handles the way they were supposed to. It's beginning to fall off the cart. So one guy is there and he tries to save it. And he's, instead of being a hero, he gets zapped because he touched the presence of God. Pretty incredible. And so this is the imagery that the, these, these believers have of God, that He's holy, He's righteous, and they can't draw near to Him because of their tradition. And what the author of Hebrews is encouraging them is that there's a new and living way for the people of God, for you and I, to draw near to God. All right? Okay, 
So let's read these next few verses here, um, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since Christ did that sacrifice once and for all, He's made you holy, He's made you clean, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, okay, where God's presence is. By a new and a living way, open to us through the curtain that is His body, so that that curtain that separated the holy place, the most holy place, what happened to that on the day that Jesus was crucified? It was torn too, wasn't it? From top to bottom. Symbolizing that because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, we all had access to the presence of God. So the author of Hebrews is touching upon this. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is number one, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These Hebrew believers were being tempted and pressured to go back to Judaism. They weren't feeling worthy of God's love and they lacked the confidence to draw near to holy God. And so the challenge here is to draw near to God. And so my question is, what about you? What about you? I'm not asking so much as, do you believe in God? How do you feel about drawing near to God and to His presence and seeking Him? Do you feel worthy to do that? Do you feel worthy? We do face times of temptation and difficulty. And I've learned there's two C words that have similar meaning and make us feel similar in some ways, but they have two different outcomes. But they impact how we draw near to God or not. The first one is conviction. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, okay? So when you do something wrong, you feel guilty, right? Conviction. But it is God's way of showing us that what we are doing is wrong. And one of, the, uh, one of the expressions I love is when people get saved and they invite Christ in their life and then they go back to doing some of the things they used to and they say, man, I never used to feel guilty for doing this. Now I do, right? Why is that? Because it's the Holy Spirit speaking into their heart and life. That's conviction, all right? Now, it might be stealing a piece of candy or t- taking a piece of clothing from a store and you get caught and you feel awful on the inside. That's conviction, and it calls us to make things right with God and with people. So when I was, I think, like a senior in high school, we had moved up to Alaska. My dad was doing this uh, construction on a new house, and they were putting it in the wood ceiling. So it was, you know, up there there's a lot of wood construction, and they would even, instead of having sheetrock ceiling, they'd have that wood deck ceiling. And so when you do that, then you put, you put that in place and then you put insulation on top of it, foam insulation. So we were cutting, that's what I remember, we were cutting that insulation and then we would put on the rest of the sheeting before shingles. And so we were cutting that and one of the guys had this fillet knife. He didn't, you know, that's not what you probably, you're supposed to be using for foam, but he had it in his tools, so he had this fillet knife for cutting the foam. So guess what? I used it and was cutting the foam and a fillet knife is long and slender, right? Probably not the most ideal, sturdiest thing for that. Yeah, and what happened, Karen? I broke it, right? Yes, I broke it. Uh, no, I didn't cut myself. I broke it. I broke it, but nobody saw me do it. So I think I just took it over there and put it back where it was and kept on. Well, the guy noticed. He knew it was 
broken, and it really wasn't valuable to him, I found out later, but, <laughs> but he was a little bit upset nobody was taking ownership of it. I felt horrible about it, so that night I went and bought him a, a replacement fillet knife, gave it to him the next day, and, and came clean on it. That's conviction. That's conviction. And I got it right. He was happy to get his knife back, but more importantly, he was happy that someone came forward and just took ownership of it. That's conviction. Condemnation, on that's the other C word, on the other hand, makes you feel bad as well, right? But condemnation has a different outcome because it says you're not worthy to come before God. It doesn't want you to push you to be drawn near to God to seek forgiveness and His restoration and His reconciliation that we talked about earlier. Instead, it says, I'm not worthy and therefore I can't approach a holy God. And Paul says in Romans that therefore those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And so I think these Hebrew believers were dealing with maybe some of that, but they, they didn't have the confidence that they needed to approach God. Now, we may not be feeling, dealing with some of the same stuff that they were dealing with, but I still think we at times wrestle with this idea, am I worthy enough to approach a holy and an awesome God to seek Him and to come before Him? And the answer is yes. It's not because of your good works. It's not because of all that you've done, but it's only because once and for all, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and your sins. Amen? And because of that, the author of Hebrews says, we have confidence to come before Him. He is going to cleanse us. He's going to purify us. He is our righteousness. Going back to, um, if you go back, you can keep your finger there, but go back to chapter 4. Uh, 14 through 16, chapter 4, 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this is Jesus, who's ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That's going to come up in point two here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin. You think, there's no way that God had the same thoughts that I do. He was tempted. He was a guy. He was a human being. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence is is mentioned a lot in the book of Hebrews. That is... um, what Nebraska little act in the second half. <laughs> we don't want to go there, do we? <laughs> it was there in the first half. wasn't in the second. That's what my dissertation was about, is that confidence factor, how it can be there one moment and totally gone the second. Right? And if you're in athletics, you know all about that. But because of Christ, we have confidence. And so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy and grace. Doesn't that sound great? That we can approach a holy and an awesome God with confidence to find help in our time of need, whatever that need may be. If there's ever a time that we need to draw near to God, I believe as a church, as the people of God, it's now. We need Him. Our nation needs Him. Our world needs Him. Right? We need to draw near to God. We need to hear His voice. 
We need his assurance. We need his direction. We need our faith. And the church, our world needs the church at its best right now. Can I just say that? I I know we've been through a lot in the last two and a half years, but the the world needs the church to, to be the church. We need to be telling people about Christ and showing love and compassion and and bringing people to him because there's people out there that are struggling. And we need to be out there doing what God's called us to do. Amen? God is holy. He's awesome. We need to respect and honor God. So it's, I kind of like the father figure for that because hopefully you have respect and honor for your father. Okay? But also there's that image that you can embrace that hug and that love and compassion. Are you understanding there? That's the way... God wants to reach out to us. So draw near. He's cleansed us. He's purified us. And because of Jesus, we can draw near. All right. Verse 23, we see our second point. It says, so we draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Um, I remember reading that when I was in college, and it it was just a very stressful and a very draining time in life. And I just remember that being just a good word of assurance to me. Hold fast because he who promised is faithful. That, that word hold on, if you go into the Greek, it just means to stick firmly to. All right? And so many times it means tying a knot and hanging on. Right? Why do we tie a knot? Why do you tie a knot and a rope to hang on? It gives you something to hold on to, right? The rope can be a little bit slippery, but when we tie that knot, it gives you a little bit more something to hold firmly to, right? If you could do that in uh, tug of war, that would even really help out. I think sometimes you can kind of wrap it a little bit. I don't know if that's legal or not. But but knots provide a point of traction that we can grip on to. And that's what we need to do in difficult times is to hang on to God's truth and His promises. Those are the knots, Right? Those are the things that we hold on to, that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that um, he's a, he sticks closer than a brother, that his mercies are new every morning, and his faithfulness is there. You, you take a hold of those truths and you hang on to them in difficult times and you don't let go. Kind of like a bulldog, right? You just bite down and you just don't let go, right? And there are certain things in life that are worth holding on to, your faith, your family, your freedoms, you notice it doesn't say fight. He just says hold on. Hold on. Hold on tight. If you go to Hebrews, so again, keep your finger there if you're using a hard copy here. Hebrews chapter 6, not Hebrews, Ephesians 6. Here we go. 10 through 17, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may take your, what's the word? Stand. I want you just to catch that word, stand. Against the devil's evil scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to... um, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm. Then with the belt of truth, and he goes on. 
You notice how many times he tells us to stand there? It's a little bit like holding on. He's telling them to stand their ground, to hold on to the faith that they profess. I think in sometimes, especially in moments where we need to persevere, it's not so much about fighting and taking action. It's, ba- it's standing upon the truth that we have and holding on to it. The hope that you profess, he says, hope is that general feeling that, we, that some desire will be fulfilled. Okay? And I, I can tell you that if you don't have hope, life is pretty, um, it's going to be pretty difficult for you. If we don't have the hope of a sunrise or a sunset, if we don't have the hope that tomorrow may be better than today, uh, we, we live off of hope. And when we lose hope, we surrender to our circumstances, right? And if, if you're in a life and death situation, sometimes the people that pull through those are those that do not give up hope. Sometimes people pass away because they quit hoping in that process. I like the movie Castaway, right? Tom Hanks, he's the busy FedEx executive, gets stranded on this desert, not a desert island, but an island out in the ocean, right? Even thinks about contemplating taking his life in one moment. But what keeps him going and and then configuring a raft and getting off the island is the idea that hope. He still had a girl out there, that a lady who was hoping to get engaged to and marry. And, and, and then he gets back, right? Gets back, finds out that she's married, moved on, because she thought everybody thought he was dead. But what keeps him even going on then is that he realized he still had hope for something else, right? Hope. Why? Why do we hope? Because he who pr- is promised, he who promised is faithful, You can say it in other words because we know that God always does what he promised to do. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. He'll carry it through if we hold on. Amen? Number three, this is the fun one. They're all good, but. 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So Gary has, Gary Boyer has some, I believe, on his walls. He actually has a collection of barbed wire. I don't know if you could, you could have that, but he does. All right. And of course, he has at least one collection of spurs or nothing but more. Cowboys use spurs, right? Right? Especially if you're riding a bucking bronco, right? And so they use the spurs. That's what kind of agitates the, the horse so he bucks and they get the points and all that, right? And they also used them to kind of get the horse to do what they're supposed to do, right? Spur one another along um, towards good deeds. So God is saying, hey, I want you to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. The assumption here is that you and I will not reach our full kingdom potential without encouragement and accountability that comes from being in the body of Christ. Do you know you need the body of Christ? You do. You do. And that's why he says, do not give up meeting together, verse 25, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as we see that day approaching. So in the similar fashion, um, cowboys use them to stimulate a horse spurs, right? 
All right, get them going. All right. In a similar fashion, we are to spur, stimulate, stir up, motivate one another towards love and good deeds. Wow. Wow. Isn't that kind of interesting? How do we do that? Bring a stick on Sunday morning. It's sharp and kind of, <clears throat> all right. Somebody's falling asleep. All right. Karen, you would really get into that. I could see her really. She would just put that on the end of her cane and just kind of, all right. All right. Um, how do we do that? Well, we do that it, it, by encouraging one another, right? But also by calling out the best in people and calling them to be what God has called them to be. We spur each other along. And uh, Karen, you and I were talking about this last week, right? That even, even with the COVID thing, and so we were got used to watching online, and if that's the only way that we can be participating in church, we are glad that you are watching. But sometimes we also have that choice that do I come to church or not come to church? It's sure easy maybe just to come on the phone. We need this time in person. We do. You need that because there's the fellowship, there's a camaraderie that happens here. It's talking about what in Hebrews there, that's how we spur one another along and we encourage one another to be what God has called us to be, to be involved, to use our gifts and our talents to to be the church that God has called us to be. And after COVID, and this isn't just Radiant Springs Church, this is across our nation. After COVID, people have been reluctant to commit, to volunteer and to be involved within the body of Christ. Not only in church, but at work. That's why you can't get people, you know, employers can't get people working, right? They're short working. Whoever thought that would be an issue, but it's an issue. They can't get people to work, good people to work. There's been that lack of commitment. We're, we're kind of stepping back. Some of it's been good. I'm not saying all of it's bad. Some of it's been okay. It's called a, caused us to reevaluate. But we also still have to be the church and get out there and be who God has called us to be. So I think the temptation for believers today and the temptation is to maybe lay low and not commit. For these Hebrew believers, their temptation was to lay low. To stay under the radar and not bring attention to myself. Because if I bring attention to myself, it may cause suffering. It may cause persecution in my life. But the author of Hebrews is not calling them to just lay low and just to stay under the radar. He's saying, I want you to go out there and be the church. Show the love of God. Be out there ministering to people, telling people about Christ. He's not telling them to step back. He's telling them to step forward, isn't he? And to be the church. And for us today, I believe that is the, it's the same call there, that we have to step up and be the church if we're going to fulfill what God has called us to do. That requires meeting together, and it requires us getting into small groups. It requires us to use our gifts and our talents for God, to give up our time, our talent, our treasure. It's going to take all those things for us to be what God has called us to be. One of my roles as a pastor, yes, is to visit people in the hospital and to do other things. But one of my goals is to stretch you. To stretch you. Sometimes that's a, it's a balance there, right? I have to know how much to stretch you, right? But a good pastor, one of my goals, we do this giftings class, so I need to do that here this fall, is to get people plugged into the right place. Because when people are in the right place of ministry and they enjoy what they're doing, it, it, it's it. it 
it's exhilarating for them, okay? And they enjoy doing it. But if you're in the wrong place, so if you're in the nursery and you can't stand preschool, you know, little babies crying and stuff, you're probably, you know, you're going to say, I'm going to do it one, two weeks and I'm out of here, right? Okay. But if that's your thing, it's kind of like, yeah, man, give me the babies, you know? So on Wednesday nights, that's one of the things Amy, like, she likes to be in the nursery. She just loves it, you know? And uh, that brings her fulfillment. She loves doing that. Um, until our kids have grandkids. Yeah. So we're happy with Gabe and Jackson and Ophelia. All right. Each of us fulfills a role. And by us being the church, we extend God's love and compassion to a world that needs it. On Sundays, Wednesdays, and every day of the week, we need to be the church. Amen? Amen. I want us to close. I'm going to have the musicians come. Verses um, twenty or 32 through 39. So he then goes on to them if they fall away. He's pretty vivid there if they fall away. that um, He's pretty black and white with them. And that uh, to not shrink back. But in verse 32, he says, Remember those early days after you received the light. So they invited Christ into their life. When you endured a great conflict full of suffering. What did that involve? Verse 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side those who were being so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. You picturing that? Authorities come in and say, hey, you're moving out. I'm taking all your house, your belongings. It's ours. Go find a place to go. Because you knew yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That's hope, isn't it? They realized that the things of this world are just temporary. That they had a hope and a treasure that goes beyond this life. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For just in a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, who will live by faith, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Shrink back means to take that step back. Why are they stepping back? Because... Maybe they lack confidence, but because they know that it's tough going. They're lacking the perseverance. They're lacking the endurance of its ta- what it takes. Instead of stepping forward, they're shrinking back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. So by shrinking back, they actually lose out on the hope of heaven. But to those who have faith and are saved. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? And I know we've been through a lot these last two and a half years, but does it equal getting your house, your possessions taken from you to face persecution? Some of you have been through worse than others. Health issues, surviving COVID. Maybe there's been other things you've gone through. But these people of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews is writing to, the 
call is to persevere, to not give up, to not lose sight of what God had called them to. I'm going to ask those questions again. What have you missed out because you've gave, given up and did not persevere? And what have you gained because you did persevere? So this person failed in business when he was 22. He ran for legislature and was defeated when he was 23. He failed to get in business at age 24. He was elected to legislature at age 25. The love of his life died when he was 26. He had a nervous breakdown at age 27. He was defeated as an elector at age 31. He was defeated for Congress at age 34. He was elected to Congress at age 37. He was defeated for Congress at age 39. Defeated for seven at age 46. Defeated for vice president at age 47. Defeated for Senate at age 49. He was elected as our president of the United States, United States at age 51. And who am I talking about? God, Chris, help us out. Who are we talking about? Abraham Lincoln. We have a memorial for him, right? In our nation's capital. Perseverance, folks. Perseverance. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. Amen. Would you stand this morning? The author of Hebrews is definitely writing to people that already know him, but maybe you don't know him as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you're listening online or you're here today and you've just never placed your hope in Christ to know that your sins are forgiven. So I'm going to have a prayer of salvation in just a moment, but then I'm also just going to pray for you as the church. Um, And I include myself in that because um, um, pastors have not been exempt from all that we've gone through as well. And I believe that God is calling. I believe this is very much just a prophetic word just for our season and time right now where God is, we're at in the church. So so let's look to the Lord in prayer. If you do not know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, would you just pray along with me this morning? I'm going to invite you all to pray, saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Be my Lord and my Savior. Name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And Lord God, I pray for each one here, Lord God. I don't know where we're at, just uh, two and a half years out from COVID, and as we go now into a time that financially our nation is struggling. Lord God, I I don't I don't know what all the things we are dealing with getting back into the school year, but Lord God, I know that you've called us to be the church in good times and in difficult times, Lord God. And the temptation sometimes is when the going gets tough is to step back, to shrink back. But God, this is the time that you've called the church, I believe, to not shrink back, but to step forward and be the church, to shine like a light, like a city on a hill, Lord, to be obvious, to be there for the people that need to hear the good news, to be there for people that need hope and the hope of Christ. You've given us a message. You've given us that hope, Lord God. Let it burn in our hearts. 
And may it be something that we can carry to the world around us. Will it sometimes bring us opposition? Yes, it may. Will people sometimes make fun of us? Yeah, maybe they will. Well, may sometimes people may not understand us. Yes, they may not understand us. But God, you've given us the message of Christ to take to the world, to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I will be with you. What did he say? Always. Always. Father, Let us be the church you've called us to be.